welcome to this BJSM podcast and you'll be listening to Irfan Asif. Dr. Irf Asif is well known to AMSSM members and folks internationally as an academic and clinical leader in sports medicine. And I've always had particular pleasure in chatting to him over the years. It's great to have you on a podcast, Irf. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to touch on lifestyle medicine, as you call it, and you said you have three ways of breaking it up, clinic, curriculum, and community, which sounds very interesting. Can we start with a clinic? Tell me about the clinic that you've set up. Sure. So uh, everybody is probably familiar with the Exercises Medicine Initiative, and, and one of the things that we thought about is, hey, it might be a little bit more than just physical activity. So what we did is we... Um, put that under the guise of a lifestyle medicine initiative here within the Greenville Health System and the University of South Carolina Greenville. And part of that was starting a lifestyle medicine clinic. So what we did is we uh, actually partnered with a multidisciplinary team, including uh, behavioralists, social workers, physical therapists, exercise professionals, uh, really a, a good team. And we've built a clinic now. And within the clinic, we see patients, we get assessments, uh, cardiovascular assessments, we get BMI, um, we understand their profiles, and then we help them with a personalized plan uh, to get them different elements of physical activity, eating healthy, and the behavior change that's necessary to implement um, improvements in those uh, different profile parameters. And if I was a patient, how many different professionals do I see and how long does it take? So it depends on on the the particular patient. So what we do is we do initial intake and try to understand what the different risk factors are for that particular patient. We'll then get labs. We'll have them see a nutritionist. We'll have them work with a a behavioralist. And eventually they'll work their way to uh, the treating physician who will analyze all the data together and then make a personalized plan for that patient. Some of that might include uh, healthy eating. And in in the South, where we are in the United States, it's actually... Uh, sometimes difficult to get buy-in from people on eating healthy because we're in one of the states where um, obesity is a huge epidemic. So we've actually taken things like the DASH diet that, that's uh, promoted worldwide, and we've actually changed it to da- the DASH diet the southern way. And so we, we're actually trying to appeal to our particular population. Can you just expand on the DASH diet, please? So the DASH diet stands for uh, Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, and it's an, it's an evidence-based plan. Uh, it includes things like eating uh, fat-free and low-fat milk and dairy foods, fruits and vegetables, uh, lean meats. And what we've done with the DASH diet is taken those particular concepts and apply it to uh, a southern population so that they can still eat the things that they're used to in the south of the U.S. And so just to close off on the clinic then, um, how, many, how long would I expect to be there for? Usually within the clinic, the, the intake will take uh, probably an hour on your first visit, and then we make a personalized plan for you. And then based on that, uh, we'll get you to other places within the system. So uh, the clinic then branches out to, if we make a referral to exercise professionals, uh, you, you will then have your plan as part of our community partner with the YMCA. Or there may be follow-up uh, that you may see with our uh, nutritionist, for example. Great. And so let's move on to these community partners. Um, who are some of them? You mentioned the YMCA. Let's start with them. Tell me more about how many and where and, and their, their evidence base for success. Sure. So, so the, we have seven YMCA partners that are located throughout the city. And for the YMCA, we have uh, 25 exercise professionals that are situated in all of those YMCAs. 
And so, for example, if I have a patient with COPD and I design a personalized plan for that individual, I can then send a referral and they'll meet with the exercise professional and we'll give them the parameters, hey, this person has COPD, and then the exercise professional will design a personalized exercise regimen for that COPD patient. And what sort of outcomes do they have and how many appointments would the patient have? So generally, just like with a physical therapy appointment, you'll have uh, six weeks, and usually it's twice a week for six weeks. And we cater a lot to patients that are underserved. So for some of the patients who are unable to afford it, we'll give them the sessions for free, or uh, we'll have a a sliding scale for people depending on uh, what their income is. How do you measure success? So uh, we measure success. We actually are tracking all the the different uh, parameters that we have, both within the clinic and then outside the clinic. So we use a system called REDCAPS, which is a a research database. And in terms of success, we look at things like weight, uh, BMI, uh, and then we look at things depending on the patient, such as an A1C or blood pressure. And so we're using all of those as potential markers. But the biggest one that the patients will actually hold on to is how much weight they lose. And we've seen tremendous success for patients, specifically on weight loss. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it, of how we know that fitness is the most important determinant of health, and yet patients are so focused on weight. How do you deal with that paradox, really? Yeah, I mean, uh, we try to go for the low-hanging fruit, so... If for them that's important and we can ultimately get to the uh, get to the outcomes that we're hoping for, which are uh, improved blood pressure, improved cardiovascular profiles, um, for them uh, this is a baby step to get to there. And it takes a little bit of buy-in, but ultimately we, we're serving the patient, so they need to have a good experience. And presumably you'll have data from this clinic uh, over time, and we look forward to those? Yes, we'll be tracking data, and, and you'll, you'll definitely see – um, papers that come out with the data. Uh, you may have heard of uh, Jennifer Trilk is one of our partners here within the University of South Carolina, Greenville, and she's been a tremendous asset to help set the database up to track outcomes. I'm really happy to mention Jennifer Trilk's work on this podcast, Earth, and the University of South Carolina at Greenville has been a leader in exercise, is medicine, and, and putting in the curriculum, and Jennifer has a fantastic paper in BJSM, and the whole program has been highlighted in BJSM, and we'll make sure that's in the blurb for people to click on at the bottom of the podcast. So should we move on to curriculum next, or do you want to go with community? Um, we can talk about the curriculum that actually dovetails into uh, which you were describing with uh, Jennifer and the work that she's done. Um, Jennifer has been instrumental in, in getting buy-in from our university. And when she got the buy-in from the university, she started to incorporate the exercises, medicine concepts, and lifestyle medicine into the first and second year of the medical school. So if you're a medical student here, you'll actually have lectures on exercise and the pancreas, for example, uh, which is very different than uh, what you might see elsewhere. And there's a huge emphasis on trying to uh, use um, non-traditional, I guess, what you know, exercise concepts to treat non-communicable diseases. Um, so it's a big push. So for her, she set up the first and second year. And then what we did is we actually took it into the third and fourth year. So we now have the lifestyle medicine electives, and those uh, medical students can come, and they actually rotate through our clinic. Uh, and each of them is, is asked to do a project. And uh, they come up with some, some amazing things within their projects. 
So what they'll do is uh, some of them will lead cooking classes for our patients after hours. Um, again, part of that DASH diet, the Southern way, they'll actually cook meals and show patients, hey, you can actually do this, and this is what you can do uh, at your own home. So they ask them, what, what type of utensils do you have? Um, how do you keep food? What is it that you buy every day? Uh, and then they try to find ways to do that in a healthy way. A second project that some of our medical students have done um, is actually look at some inner city um, schools here and find those at-risk individuals. Is there a way to have them use their time more constructively instead of destructively? So what we did, what we did is we designed a running program for middle, middle school students and the running program helped occupy their time so that they would actually be diverted away from gang-related activities. And these are actually student-led and student-driven initiatives. So it's been uh, really neat to see how this exercises medicine and lifestyle medicine concepts have infiltrated into our medical school. Wow. such lovely to see the medical students from the university working with the high school students in these programs, right? Yeah, and, and we're actually going to be tracking outcomes there. So we're doing simple things like uh, how many miles per week are these students able to run? Um, and and it's, it's pretty impressive what they do. And, and all it takes is it's a, an hour a day that we work with them from 7 to 8 in the morning. Um, and we start building in things like leadership concepts, uh, team dynamics, uh, emotional uh, intelligence. It's pretty neat what we're able to do. And it's, again, very student-driven. Sounds great. And what other initiatives do you have involving the community? Of Sure. So um, within the, the community, uh, again, we try to think of lifestyle medicine within three facets, the clinic, the curriculum, and the community. So we've described how the students get into the community, but our own uh, physicians are actually uh, pioneering some new community projects to get uh, some of the students to exercise. And one of the things we've done is we went out to schools. Uh, just last week, we went to a school with 400 7th and 8th graders. And we talked about three things. Uh, one was the importance of exercise using the, the slogan, the campaign slogan, get your 30, with the idea that they're going to, if they do 30 minutes a day for five days, they'll meet their 150-minute um, minimum for exercise during the week. We also uh, brought mannequins out to, to do CPR with the students. And then we also uh, finally talked about the importance of reporting signs and symptoms of, of concussions for head injury. And so those are the three things that we focused on that day. But we have uh, programs like that that we do consistently throughout our community. And did we talk about exercise as medicine as a vital sign? Have you embedding that into medical practice in the in the state? Uh, yeah. So actually, it's it's within our system. So. Um, our healthcare system adopted some of the, the work from the Kaiser Permanente system. And so every clinic, our lifestyle medicine clinic, uh, has the, has the exercises medicine vital sign. And it, it asks you two questions. How many minutes do you exercise per session and how many days per week do you exercise? And then we're going to track outcomes based on that for, for how often people exercise. So we try to see there, the, again, most of it is focused on cardiovascular outcomes. And so with this, this is across the whole institution, which is uh, probably the 13th largest uh, healthcare system in the United States. So um, it, it's going to be a pretty impressive when, when we're able to track it even a year from now. There are a lot of impressive things, and you've been busy as the vice chair and the academics uh, head making all this happen. 
how did you get that support from the president and the high-level people? That, that's a challenge for most folks. Yeah, so in terms of the Greenville Health System, uh, we really needed buy-in from the top, and multi- much of that happened even before I got here. So several years ago, there was uh, an understanding that the traditional fee-for-service system, meaning if you had a surgery, you'll get paid, that that wasn't going to be successful a successful model within the region. So we've actually flipped the healthcare system upside down with a focus on prevention. And so there's a heavy push to have primary care uh, and prevent diseases rather than to, again, try to have a surgery and get paid. And so what, we, what we've had uh, the fortune of is our chair, Sean Bryan. He's actually uh, a primary care sports medicine individual. And so he is our chair. He's opening the door. And he was elected as the chair for the entire university medical group. And so he's been opening doors for us left and right. And I've just uh, been fortunate to be working with him and then try to use those resources to build things like the Lifestyle Medicine Initiative. So it sounds like there are people with the understanding that exercise is critical for health and also for financial sustainability of health systems in important positions now, which is great news. So let's hope other folks can learn from that. While I'm listening to this amazing success story, I'm also thinking about a practitioner who's isolated and the person doesn't have the buy-in from the health authority and they're a bit in isolation, but they want patients to get a better exercise experience. What can a person like that who's listening do? Sure. Uh, Kareem, that's a, a great question. In fact, if you actually look where Greenville is in South Carolina, uh, once you get outside of Greenville, it gets rural very quickly. So we're actually very familiar with those types of, of models. And, and while we do have buy-in from, from the institution, you always have to start small and, and work your way up. Uh, so even if, if you feel like you don't have the, the whole institutional support, there's some small things with just writing exercise prescriptions um, asking people to see if they get their 30 minutes a day and make that an everyday part of how you practice in your clinic. I think if you start doing that, then people will recognize you as being an expert in uh, prescribing physical activity, and then the partners will hopefully start coming to you. So uh, while you might be isolated, there's still ways to grow, and, and uh, for everybody, I, I tell them, think big, because we started as a small institution uh, long ago, and over several years, uh, we've been successful. Let's move on to all healthcare professionals. We made this a bit medically focused. Of course, the AMSSM is a BJSM member society and you're a sports physician, so we don't apologise for that. How do you see the team of health professionals broadly? Yes, I, I think that healthcare is, is going to change the United States quite rapidly. I think if we're going to rely only on medical professionals to provide care, that our, our system is, is uh, bound to sink so for us, uh, there end up being turf battles sometimes. People say, oh, you know, why are nurse practitioners or why are physicians assistant in, encroaching in our ter- on our territory? Uh, but when I look at it, it's, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of pathology to go around. So when I look at the medical doctor, I kind of think maybe they're the leader of the team. And so within health education, I think we need to promote leadership. But uh, the rest of the team is going to practice to the top of their bar, the top of their license. So... Uh, if that's an exercise professional, I want them to be empowered to, to lead that area. Uh, an exercise physio, a social worker, a pharmacist, uh, you know, whatever you might be, I think everyone plays a vital role within the team. And I think that sometimes it's going to be up to the medical professional to make some decisions and be a leader of the team, but everybody has a part within the team. Any advice to be a devil's advocate? 
what about if an exercise professional, exercise physiologist, for example, said they had more knowledge about the effect of exercise on the body than many physicians? Sure. As, as with any team dynamic, you probably want to get to know your team really well to see where the, the high-functioning uh, team members might be. So for someone who doesn't have sports medicine training, uh, that, may be, that may be very true. Uh, and someone can, uh, from, who's a physio can provide a lot of expertise. But you want to make sure that you're sending the same uh, message to the patient. So it shouldn't be about one person in particular, the, the medical doctor or the nurse practitioner or the physio, but what the team can provide for that patient. Great. Well, look, uh, thanks a lot for that advice about how to really implement exercise as medicine into clinics, into the curriculum, and into the community. I think you've done a con- really, really great job. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, Kareem. It's always a pleasure. And that was the first of two podcasts with Earth Asif. We will have a chat about AMSSM and its role in leadership in a separate podcast. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast and have an active day.